0: Part four of Century of the Sky by Evelyn E. Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sentry of the Sky, part four. When Clary came home from Barshwat, Imbelsaira said nothing more about her suspicions, but greeted him affectionately and prepared a special supper for him. Afterward, he wondered if making love to an Earth girl could be as pleasant. He wondered how it would be to make love to Han Vollard. The days passed and he forgot about Han Vollard. After much persuasion he agreed to give a series of concerts at Zrig, but only on condition that Rini played with him, and had one solo each performance. He was embarrassed at having so far outstripped his teacher, but Rini seemed unperturbed. "'My technique's still better than yours will ever be,' he said it's this new style of yours that gets em. I understand it's spreading. It's reached as far as Barshwat. You should see the angry letters Eirik writes about it," Reeny chuckled. "'And he hasn't the least idea it started right here in his own home village that he's always sneered at for being so backward.' Clary smiled and clapped the boy on the neck. If it made Rini feel better to think Clary had a new style, rather than that Clary played better than he did, Clary had no objection. Clary was offered the post of head librarian at Zrig, but M. Belsiret didn't want to leave Catunt, and when he thought about it, he really didn't want to either. So he refused the job and didn't bother mentioning the matter to headquarters. As he grew more sure of himself and his position, he allowed his wealth to show. He and Mbel moved to a larger dome. Instead of sending to Zrig or even Barshwat for the furnishings, they hired local talent. Tavan, the carpenter, made them some exquisite blackwood pieces, inlaid with opalescent stone that everyone said was the equal of anything in Barshwat. A talented nephew of Hanksy's painted glowing murals. Mbel mother wove rugs and draperies in muted water-tones. The dome became the district show-place. Clary realized he now had a position to keep up, but sometimes it annoyed him when perfect strangers asked to see the place. He was invited to run against Malasor as headman, but declined. He didn't want to be brought into undue prominence. Trouble was, as he became popular, he also aroused animosity. There were the girls who felt he should have married them instead of Mbelcyra, and their mothers and subsequent husbands. A lot of people resented Clary because they felt he should have decorated his house differently, dressed differently, spent his money differently. A man can live ignored by everyone, he discovered, but he can't be liked by some without finding himself disliked by others. Matters came to a head in his fourth spring there. He thought of it as spring, although on de Morland the seasons had no separate identities, They blended into one another without its ever being very hot or very cold, very rainy or very dry. The reason he called this time of the year spring was that it seemed closest to perfection. It was less perfect that year. Because it was then that Renie's brother Eirik came back from Barshwat, after a six years' absence. He was very much the city man, far more so than anyone Clary had seen in Barshwat itself. His tunics were shorter than his fellow villagers, and his cloaks iridesced restlessly from one vivid color to another. He wore a great deal of jewelry and perfume, neither of the best quality, and the toes of his boots were divided. Clary described this in detail to M. the night Eirik put in his first appearance at the fir-bush. "'You should have seen the little horror.' "'That's the way city men dress,' M. told him. "'It's fashionable.' but dear, I've been to Barshwat. You don't have an eye for clothes. You never notice when I put on anything new. And I think it's unfair to take a dislike to Eirik just because you don't care for the way he dresses." It's more than that, Belsireh. And yet how could he explain to her what he couldn't quite understand himself—that Eirik was vain, stupid, hostile, hence dangerous? I swear to you, Balt, M. Belsiris said demurely, that whatever there was between me and Eirik, it all ended six years ago. Clara gave a start and then held back a smile. I believe you, dear. And he kissed her nose. Eirik held forth in the fir-bush every evening of his stay in Cotund. He had grievances and he aired them generously. He hated everything—the government, taxes, modern music, and earthmen, whom he seemed to consider in some way responsible for the modern music, or at least its popularization. Barbarians! Slept completely through my concerts! But people are always falling asleep during concerts, Eirik, Mallisor pointed out reasonably. And how could you expect barbarians to appreciate good music? What do you care for earthmen's opinions as long as your own people like your music? Eirik hesitated. But the Earthmen have taken up the new kind of music. They stay awake during that. And—A lot of people seem to think that whatever's strange is good, so whatever the Earthmen like eventually becomes fashionable." Hanksy wiggled his ears. "'Fashions change. Well, who's ready to have his mug refilled?' "'But the Earthmen will keep on setting the fashions,' Irik snarled. Many people think the Earthmen know everything, just because they're aloof and have sky-cars.' "'Well,' Mallisor said, "'the sky-cars certainly prove they know something we don't. Better stick to your music, boy.' The smoky little bar-parlor resounded with laughter, and Eirik's face turned a nasty red. "'They don't know anything about music, and they don't know everything about machinery. We might surprise them yet.' A friend of mine knows Gouhack, the fellow who invented that new brake for the track car a few years ago." "'We know about that brake,' Peek observed. "'It stops a car so good, the chains are twice as late nowadays as they used to be, and you couldn't strictly say they were ever on time.' Everybody laughed again. I quivered with anger. "'Gouhack has invented a car that doesn't need to go on tracks.' It can run whenever it wants, wherever it wants. And one car will be able to go faster than 3 hacks hax-teams.' "'That I'll believe when I've ridden on it,' Kuquau grinned. "'Even the chains aren't that fast.' The others bit their thumbs and nodded, except Clary, who was rigidly keeping out of the conversation. He forced Squaffer down his tightening throat and said nothing. "'You're backward, Clods!' Eirik raged. If the Earthmen can have cars that go through the sky without tracks, why shouldn't we have cars that run on the ground the same way? Have we tried?" "'Doesn't seem to me it's worth the effort,' Malasor said. "'Our cars can get us where we're going as fast as we need to go already. Why bother?' "'Whatever an Earthman can do, we can do better. Soon Hack will get his ground cars on the road. After that, It'll only be a short step to cars that go in the sky. Then we'll find out where the Earthmen come from and why they're here. We'll be as powerful as they are. We'll get rid of them and their rotten music. The bar parlor was silent except for the clink as Clary put his mug on the table. If he held it an instant longer, he was afraid he would spill it. One or two of the men looked at him uneasily out of the corners of their eyes. Malasor spoke. In the first place, you don't know how powerful earthmen are. In the second place, who wants to be powerful anyway? The earthmen haven't done us any harm, and they're a good thing for the economy. My cousin in tells me one of them comes into his store a couple of months ago and bought out his whole stock, every bolt of cloth, paid twice what it was worth, too. Live and let live, I say." The others murmured restlessly. If there are ways of doing things better, Renee suggested, why shouldn't we have them too? His eyes darted quickly toward Clary's and then as quickly away. Eirik turned his head and looked directly at Clary for the first time. You're silent, stranger. What do you think of the Earthmen? Clary picked up his drink, finished the squaffer, and set the mug back down on the table. I don't know much about Earthmen. An ugly-looking lot, true, but there doesn't seem to be any harm in them. Of course, living in Barshwat, you probably know a lot more about them than I do." "'I doubt that,' Eirik said. "'You have an aunt in Barshwat.' Clary allowed himself to look surprised before he said courteously, "'I'm glad you find me and my family so interesting.' "'Yes, it so happens I do have an aunt there but she's rather advanced in years and doesn't enjoy hanging around the starship field the way the children do." Eirik's face darkened. "'What's your aunt's name?' This time everyone looked surprised. The question itself was not too out of the way, but his tone decidedly was. "'She's a great-grandmother,' Clary said. "'She would be too old for you. And I assure you, it's difficult to part her from her money, I've tried." Everybody laughed. Eirik was furious. I understand that your aunt lives very close to Earth headquarters. Somebody must have followed him on one or more of his trips to Barshwat, Clary realized. If the Earthmen chose to establish themselves in the best residential section of Barshwat, then, probably, my aunt does live near them. She's not the type to leave a comfortable dome simply because foreigners move into the neighborhood. Perhaps she has more than neighborhood in common with Earthmen. The room was suddenly very quiet again. She does sometimes go to sleep at concerts, Clary conceded. Irick opened his mouth. Malisor held up a hand. Before you say anything more against the Earthmen, Irick, he advised, you ought to find out more about them. Their cars move faster and higher than ours. Maybe their catapults do too. No one looked at Clary. Mallisor had averted a showdown, he knew, but this was the beginning of the end. And he had a suspicion who was responsible. Innocently, perhaps, perhaps not. Love does not always imply trust. And when he told M. Belcyra what had happened in the fir bush, she too couldn't meet his eye. That Irick, she said, I never liked him. I wonder how he knows so much about me. "'Renie writes him very often,' she babbled. "'He must have told him you were responsible for the new music. That would make him hate you. Renie loves to irritate Eirik, because he's always been jealous of him. But the whole thing's silly. How could you possibly make over the world's music, even if you were—' Her voice ran down. "'An Earthman. he finished coldly. "'I suppose you went around telling everybody your suspicions, and Rini wrote that to Eirik, too." "'I didn't tell anybody,' she protested indignantly. "'Not a soul,' she met his eye. "'Except mother, of course.' "'Your mother! You might as well have published it in the District Bulletin.' "'You have no right to speak of mother like that, even if it's true,' and Belsira began to sob. "'I had to tell her Bolt. She kept asking why there weren't any young ones. "'You could have told her to mind her own business,' he snapped, before he could catch himself. Five years and he still made slips. It was her business. On De Demorlin it was a woman's duty not only to have children, but to see that her children had children and their children had children. He made himself look grave and self-reproachful. "'I have a confession to make, Belser. I should have told you when I married you. I can't have children." I never heard of such a thing. Everybody has children, unless they're not married, of course," she said primly. It's an affliction sent by the gods. The gods would never do anything like that, she declared confidently. How primitive she is, he thought, and then, angrily, how provincial I am. He had never stopped to think about it, but he knew of no married couple who had not at least one offspring. He and M. Belcyra were the only ones. It hadn't occurred to the XT specialists that a species whose biological assets were roughly the same might have different handicaps. Apparently, there was no such thing as sterility on DeMorlin. Are you really an Earthman, then, Balt? she asked timidly. She had spread the news around, ruined him, ruined the work Earth had been doing, perhaps ruined even more than that, and she hadn't even been sure to begin with. But it was too late for recriminations. He had to salvage what little he could. Time, maybe, that was all." "'Are you going to tell?' he asked. She hesitated. "'Do you swear you don't mean my people any harm?' "'I swear,' he said. "'Then?' I swear not to tell," she said. He kissed her. After all, he thought, it isn't a lie. I don't mean her people any harm. Besides, sooner or later her mother will get it out of her, so she won't be keeping her part of the bargain. The next time he went to Barshwat he knew he would be followed. He tried to shake the follower or followers off, but he couldn't be sure he'd succeeded. He found the colonel looking out of the window with an expression of quiet melancholy. If there had been any earth women on DeMorlin, Clary would have thought he'd been crossed in love. Things are taking a bad turn, Clary, Blynn said. There have been certain manifestations of hostility from the natives. Get any hint of it? No, Clary said, taking his usual chair. Not a whisper. The colonel sat down heavily. The Ton's too out of the way. We should have moved you to a city once you got the feel of things. But you do go to Zrig occasionally. Haven't you heard anything there?" "'Only that an earthman bought out a cloth merchant's entire stock at one blow.' Blynn grinned weakly. "'Maybe it was rather an ostentatious thing to do. But the fabric's beautiful stuff.' He rubbed his nose reflectively. "'Fact is.' I've been hearing disturbing rumors. They say some fellow named Kuhak invented a ground car that can run without tracks." Clary almost said Guhak, but caught himself in time. "'Nonsense!' he scoffed. "'The more I know of them, the more surprised I am they ever got as far as inventing the chains!' "'But they did. No getting around that.' "'That is what Earth's afraid of, you know,' he reminded Clary unnecessarily. This is why you were sent here. And, if the rumor's true, it looks as if you weren't needed at all. I got the bad news by myself.' "'But why should it be that upsetting?' Clary tried to laugh. "'You look as if it were the end of the world!' The Colonel gave him a long, level look. "'I consider that remark in the worst of taste.' Clary stopped laughing. "'Remember.' the colonel reminded Clary, again unnecessarily, this is the way we ourselves got started. But the Demerlanti don't have to move in the same direction. They may look human and even act human, but they don't think human. The colonel clasped his hands behind his head and sighed. There have been articles against us in the paper. And whenever we go out in the street, people, natives, I mean, make nasty remarks and sometimes even faces at us. And what have we done to them? Carefully minded our own business, avoided all cultural contacts except for trade purposes, paid them much more than the going price for their goods, and gave them one or two tips on health and sanitation. As a result, they're beginning to hate us. But if you send a report, it'll bring the staff ship in ahead of time. Maybe the whole thing'll blow over. This way you're not giving it a chance to." The colonel chewed his lip. "'Well,' he finally said, "'I might as well wait and see if the rumors verified before I report it.'" Clary went back to Gatund. The months went by. The friendly atmosphere in the fir-bush had vanished, and not as many people stopped and chatted when they came to the library. But there wasn't any actual incident until the evening. Clary was walking home after late night at the library, and a stone struck him between the shoulder blades. "Dirty earth, man!" a voice called, and several pairs of feet scuttled off. He didn't mention the incident to Ambelsaira, not wanting to worry her. But the next morning, he went to the village dome and informed Malasor. "Very bad," the headman muttered. "Very bad. Whoever did it will be punished." "'You won't be able to catch them,' Clary said, "'and there'd be no point in punishment anyway. Look at it like this, Mal. Suppose I had been an earthman. Don't you see how dangerous this would be, not for me, but for you? Can't you imagine the inevitable results?' Malasur nodded. "'The Earthmen's catapults do go farther and faster, then?' "'And maybe deeper,' Clary agreed, pretending not to notice that it had been a question. After the way Irik talked, I couldn't help drifting over to the starfield when I was in Barshwat and watching an Earthship come. You've no idea how incredibly powerful a thing it was. Anyone who has power in one direction is likely to have it in another." I wonder if the Earthmen always had power, Malasor mused. If they weren't like us once. If, given time, we couldn't be like them. Clary didn't say anything. Malasaur's pale face turned gray. "'You mean we might not be given time?' Clary wiggled his ears. "'Who can tell what's in the mind of an Earthman?' Malasaur looked directly at him. "'Why do you tell me this?' "'Because I'm one of you,' Clary said stoutly. Malasaur shook his head. "'You're not. You never can be. But thanks for the warning, stranger.' Never identify, the robo-coach had said. You'll never be able to become the character you're trying to play." He was talking only of the stage, Clary told himself angrily, as he left the dome. Reports trickled in from the cities. Earthmen had been stoned twice in Zrig, more often than that in Barshwat. Clary got an agitated letter from his aunt. "'Watch out for yourself, nephew,' she warned. "'They may take it into their heads to attack all foreigners remember, come what may, you'll always have a home with me." Then everything broke open. A group of natives attacked Earth headquarters in Barshwat. The Earthmen sprayed them with a gas which made the attackers lose consciousness without harming them. That is, it was intended to work that way. However, one of them hit his head on the wall when he fell, and he died the next day. The people of Vintnor were aroused. They milled angrily around Earth headquarters carrying banners that said, Go home, Earth murderers! The headman of Barshwat called upon Colonel Blynn. The colonel courteously refused to withdraw his men from the planet. I'm under orders, old chap, he said, but I'll report your request back to Earth. It isn't a request, the headman said. Colonel Blynn smiled and said, We'll treat it as one, shall we? Clary knew what happened, because the headman gave a report of the conversation to the Barshwat Prime Bulletin. He also got a letter from his aunt describing the incident as vividly as if she had been there herself. The Barshwat Prime ran a series of increasingly intemperate editorials calling upon all the nations of Demorland to unite against the Earthmen. It was spirit that counted it said, rather than technology. Melisor wrote a letter asking how superior spiritual values could compete against presumably superior weapons. He read it aloud in the purple bush before he sent it to the editor of the Barshwat Prime, which was lucky, because the Prime never printed it, although the Dardanek Bulletin ran a copy. However, the Barshwat Prime did print letters from editors in different countries. All of them pledged firm moral support. It also printed a letter from an anonymous correspondent in Cotund, which alleged that there was an Earth spy in that village, disguised as a Demorlant, and it was this spy who was personally responsible for the decline of musical taste on the whole planet. But the bulletin seemed to consider this merely as an emanation from the lunatic fringe. It would be as easy to disguise a Hicks as one of us as an Earthman, and although we could certainly not minimize the importance of music in our culture, It is hardly likely that earth would be attempting to achieve fell purposes through undermining that art. No, the decline in musical taste represents part of the general decline in public morality which has left us an easy prey." Irak went back to Barshwat to help Riot, but he left the Katundi convinced that Clary was, if not actually an earthman, at least a traitor. When he came into the fir-bush everybody got up and left. Nobody patronized the branch library any more. The constant readers went to the main library at Zrig, and since the trip was expensive, their books were usually overdue, and they had to pay substantial fines. Sometimes they never returned the books at all, and messengers had to be sent from the city. Finally, the chief librarian at Zrig issued a regulation that only those resident within the city limits could take books out, all others in the district had to read them on the premises. The Katundi blamed that on Clary, too. One night they broke into his library and stole all the best-sellers. A couple of days later he came home and found all the windows of his dome broken. Best-sellers are often disappointing, he thought. He found a note from M. Belcyra saying, "'I have gone home to mother.' He knew she expected him to go after her but he wrote her a note saying he was going to see his aunt, who was terrified by all the riots, and put it in the mail, so she wouldn't get it too soon. He packed his kit with his most important possessions and took his ulérin under his arm. When he reached Barshwat, he had some difficulty getting through the crowd in front of Earth Headquarters. All the windows were boarded up and the garbage hadn't been collected for a considerable length of time. Just as he reached the door, a familiar voice called, that's the Earth's spy!" "'Don't be silly,' another voice said. "'He's obviously one of us!' "'But a traitor!' cried another voice. "'Otherwise, why go in there?' Stone splattered against the door, followed by impartial cries of, "'Spy! Traitor! Fool!' The last seemingly addressed to each other, rather than Clary. Blyn was haggard and anxious-looking. I've been wondering when you'd show up. Afraid maybe they'd got you." I'm all right, Clary interrupted. But what are we going to do? Blynn laughed without stopping for a full minute. Do! I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit tight and wait for the staff-ship. Two months later the staff-ship came. Blynn radioed for the general and the secretary to come in a closed ground-car. But why? The General's voice crackled plaintively over the comm-unit. I thought we didn't want them to know about ground-cars. They know, Blinn said crisply. They've got one of their own now, maybe more. Crazy-looking thing, but it works. You'll see it outside headquarters when you get here. The letters on the side mean Earthmen Go. Form imperative, impolite, emphatic. Han Vollard strode into headquarters, eyes ablaze. Why didn't you send a report before trouble started? How could you allow an emergency situation to happen?" Neither Blynn nor Carey said anything. "'Very distressing thing,' Spano declared. Maybe it hit them so suddenly they didn't know it was building. "'You and Blynn get over to the ship right away for deep probing,' Han ordered, as both began to speak at once. "'It's the only way I'll be able to get a coherent report.' After the results came through, her anger was cold, searing, unwomanly. "'You knew a year ago that things were beginning to go wrong, and you didn't even mention it on the tapes. I could have both of you broken for this.' "'If only that were all there was to worry about,' Clary sighed wistfully. She whirled on him. "'Stop feeling sorry for yourself.' The sudden loss of control in that dark Amazon was more threatening than anything that had happened yet. "'I'm not feeling sorry for myself,' he said. "'It's the Damorlanti I feel sorry for.' "'You feel sorry for them because you identify with them. That makes you sorry for yourself.' She misunderstood his motives as she misunderstood everything he did or said, but their rapport wasn't at stake now. "'What are you going to do?' he forced himself to ask. "'The decision will have to be made on Earth. Unless you mean what's going to happen to you, that's simple. You'll go back with us. Blynn will stay here, pending orders.' The colonel saluted. "'But I thought I was going to stay here ten years,' said Clary. Five to ten years,' she corrected. "'Apparently. Five was enough.' She cut herself short. "'What's the matter with me?' she suddenly exclaimed, I've been letting myself think in the same woolly way you do. Suddenly, almost frighteningly, she smiled. Clary, you did the job we set you out to do. You did it better than we expected. What threw me off was that we set you out to act as an observer. Instead, you became a catalyst. She seized his hand and wrung it warmly. Clary, I apologize. You've done a splendid job. He wrenched his hand from her grasp. I didn't act as a catalyst. It would have happened anyway. His voice rang in his own horrified ears, a voice begging for reassurance. And she was a woman. She had maternal instincts. She reassured him. It would have happened anyway, she said soothingly. But it would have dragged on for years, cost the taxpayers billions. And now he whispered, still unable to believe that the thing had really happened. "'Will you—dispose of everyone on Morland? She smiled and threw herself into a chair, her body limp and tired and contented-looking. "'Come, Clary, we're not that ruthless. Some kind of quarantine will probably be worked out. We just made the whole thing sound more drastic to appeal to your patriotism.' The general beamed. So, everything has worked out all right, after all? I knew it would. I always had the utmost confidence in you, Clary." She was busily planning. "'We'll arrange some kind of heroic accident. I have it. You died saving your aunt from the flames.' "'What flames?' "'The flames of the fire that burned down her house. She died of the local equivalent of shock. And will be rich so she'll want to believe the story. She'll be able to find herself another husband, she'll have children. She'll be better off, Clary." He looked at her, his misery welling out of his eyes. Oh, I don't mean it that way, man. All I meant was that you're a human being, she's not. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying they're different. But I felt less different with her with the Damorlanti than with anyone on Earth," he said. She walked across to the window and looked out at the Damorlanti rioting ineptly below. "'Most of us are happier in our dream-world,' she said at last, but society couldn't function if we were allowed to stay there. The Morlin wasn't a dream-world. But it will be,' she said. End of Part Four